Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, we're here for our French Open recap episode. Two weeks have gone by, and ultimately, surprise results on both sides, I think you can argue. And just starting on the men's side, um, another kind of momentous victory for Novak Djokovic and now the Grand Slam tally is at 19 just one behind Nadal and Federer it was a fantastic tournament in terms of how it ended there were a few bumps on the road earlier in the event and those were more for off-court things that fortunately we already talked about in our prior episode so we can stick mostly to the tennis today it was fantastic Um, my goodness some of these points on clay are just so enjoyable to watch and I think of younger me who grew up, you know, a fan of grass court tennis, only really played mostly on hard courts, kind of didn't realize and fully appreciate the beauty of clay court tennis, but I'm on board now. I just absolutely love it. And so it was a a great end on both the women's side and the men's side for different reasons. And uh, as you mentioned on the men's side, Novak getting ever so close now to Nadal and Federer in the overall Grand Slam title count. Um, sort of reigniting the debate uh, for for GOAT, the greatest of all time, which is one that I don't usually like to talk about. And I don't think we'll ever be able to really establish that, uh, you know, while these players are still going. But at the moment, it's pretty hard to argue against Novak with some of the accomplishments he's made in his career, including winning each of the slams at least two times and having won all the Masters events as well two times, which nobody else has done. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Obviously, these accomplishments, as you said, first man in the open era to win a career Grand Slam twice. And you look at the tallies here, of course, the Australian Open, he's totally dominated with nine trophies there. Now two French Opens, five at Wimbledon, which is right around the corner. And of course, uh, we would have to say he's going to be the favorite there. And then uh, three U.S. Open titles as well. And uh, just on that final against Stefano Tsitsipas, who, of course, was playing his first career major final and um, obviously handled the moment exceptionally well because he suddenly jumped out to a two sets to love lead. So he grabs the first two sets, seven, six. And that first set was very compelling, could have gone either way. Then gets the second set, 6-2, and uh, Djokovic talked about just kind of needing to recharge his batteries, kind of refocus, and he felt like Tsitsipas just had the slightest dip, and you know what happens when you give uh, the big three just an inch, they'll take a mile, and, and Djokovic just completely flipped the script on this match, winning the final three sets, uh, 6-3, 6-2, 6-4, so now 19 Grand Slams, as we said, and yeah, it's certainly a fair argument to claim he is the greatest of all time, but I, maybe we don't just say it outright because they are still playing. But uh, the trophy cabinet is completely full. And not only is it completely full, like he's won all these titles, as you said, at least two times. Masters 1000s. I mean, Rafael Nadal has not won every Masters 1000 event. In fact, he doesn't have an ATP finals crown. Of course, Roger Federer has not won the French Open more than once. Um, those two, Novak and Federer uh, in particular, they would probably want that Olympic gold. But uh, apart from that, I mean, Djokovic, this is, it's truly astounding, the titles that he is racking up. I think the uh, French Open count for Federer and Djokovic, there should be some sort of um, like multiplication factor because if it weren't for Nadal, <laughs> the man who's been so darn dominant on clay, 
Yeah. You know, Federer would probably have, I would guess, anywhere between two and four of them. Djokovic mm-hmm. would probably have about four, maybe five of them. Sure. Um, I mean, obviously, this doesn't count for anything, but I'm just saying, I feel like their one French Open and two French Opens, respectively, really mean a lot, given the fact that that Nadal had had just owned it for the past 15 years, basically. Um, Djokovic, what really impresses me, and, and I know you as well, is his, his mental resilience and his ability to never, ever be out of a match. I mean, go back to Wimbledon two years ago and Sfredder, two match points against him, and, and he just didn't seem phased by it whatsoever. Here in this tournament, twice he was down two sets to love earlier in the tournament against mm-hmm. uh, Musetti and now against Pass. I don't know how many people have won a Grand Slam after twice coming back in that same tournament from an 0-2 deficit. And I didn't have the time to go all Greg Sharko on this one and do too much digging. But I did look at Nadal and Federer. Nadal had never had to come back from down two sets in an event that he won, a Grand Slam that he won eventually. Federer twice um, had one match where he was down two sets to love. Wimbledon in 2012 against Benito early in the tournament. Uh, French Open 2009 against Tommy Haas the year he won it. But otherwise, Novak doing it twice in one tournament just to me, again, speaks to that very incredible quality he has that goes beyond his skills with the racket and it goes to his skills up here in his head. Yeah, the, the mental game is is truly astonishing. I, I look back even to the first set against Tsitsipas, actually. Um, Stefanos had a great opening to take that first set 6-4. to four. He had a set point. They had, a, I think, a 20-ball-plus exchange there at 4-5 where Djokovic is trying to cling on and, and hold serve, and he does it. He was down, I believe, you know, 4, four nothing early in that tie break, and suddenly he gets up gets it to 6-6 and has a chance to even win that set. I was thinking, like, emotionally, if Stefano Tsitsipas had lost that first set, like, he would have had no chance at winning that match. And and the fact that Novak actually kind of played some poor tennis for a brief stretch of about eight or nine points early in that, late in that first set, and still managed to turn turn it around and give himself a chance to win it uh, was, was unbelievable. Um, the match of the event, certainly on the men's side, Djokovic versus Nadal. This was the 58th career encounter between the two, and uh, Djokovic winning it uh, now leads that head-to-head 29-27. Uh, the scoreline maybe doesn't do it justice to how great a match it was, 3-6-6-3, 7-6-6-2, but this encounter was four hours, ten minutes. That third set alone was an hour and a half, and... Um, you know, all the greats on Twitter were, were tweeting about this match, what was happening. Andy Murray called it perfect tennis on clay. Uh, and Djokovic expressed afterwards that uh, defeating Nadal at Roland Garros is like climbing Mount Everest, um, which I, I thought that was that was very well said. But some of these rallies between these two, like Titanic physical tennis, um, really the height of the sport. It was it was enthralling. And for Novak to call it a top three match of his career, uh, best ever performance at Roland Garros, uh, and, and that's saying a lot. I mean, but for sure, to beat Nadal, to win another French, to get so close to the two big rivals that you've had in your career, and probably at this point, I mean, if I'm those three guys, who would you feel most confident is going to come out on top in terms of slam count? you got to go with Novak in terms of yeah. his likelihood of you know, winning Wimbledon again this year his likelihood of, of being, you know, top three contender at, at uh, the U.S. Open later this summer as well. Uh, and to beat Nadal en route to winning the French gives it extra meaning. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to take away from Federer's triumph uh, 12 years ago, but 
you win the French and you beat Nadal, that you should almost get two trophies or a, an enlarged trophy with some yeah. sort of, you know, extra writing on it to uh, to sort of prove how great an accomplishment that was. Yeah, no kidding. Um, the record now, as it stands at Roland Garros for Rafael Nadal, 105 wins, three losses, 97.9% winning uh, percentage there, which is astonishing. And you have to give so much credit to Djokovic for being responsible for two of those three losses. And uh, it's an interesting kind of six-block, six-year block pattern, actually, for Nadal. Uh, he lost in 2015 to Djokovic and then six years prior as well. 2009 to Robin Soderling. Yeah, 2009, 2015. So, so his next loss, if this holds true, Nadal's next loss in Paris will be in 2027. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. At the age of 41, we'll see. We'll see if he gets there. Um, but hey, you never know, honestly. Uh, but yeah, that that match to me, I, I mean, probably in some sense for a lot of fans, it was disappointing that it wasn't a final, but. We had a spectacular final between Djokovic and Tsitsipas anyway. So I think that was uh, tremendous that we got that. Uh, France had a curfew in place to deal with, uh, you know, COVID-19. And uh, once you get to a late hour, everybody's supposed to get home. And because Tsitsipas and Sasha Zverev played a pretty lengthy five-setter of their own in the first semifinal, already the time was going to be potentially an issue for the semifinal between Nadal and Djokovic. And sure enough, um, as they were kind of completing that third set, just beginning the fourth, they hit the hour of the curfew. Someone from the French government made the decision and called it in to basically provide a special exemption and let fans stay and watch the end of this unbelievable match, which I thought was honestly absolutely the right choice. The, the mayhem that probably would have ensued if you were trying to remove fans from this match, it just wouldn't have, it wouldn't have flown. There was no way it was going to happen. Hey, at some point, they had to get something right this two-week period, whether it was yep. tournament organizers or the government there or what have you after some of their blunders. So uh, this was a wise choice because, yeah, it would have been uh, pretty ugly. How do you... How do you kick those fans out in a developing classic like that one against, as we've said, the two all-time greats against each other for a record, you know, 58th time. Um, so good call on that one. I would have hated to see what would have happened otherwise. And, uh, you know, you feel for all those other players that lost out on having that atmosphere. There were plenty of great matches that would have been even further enhanced if yep. they'd been allowed to have a crowd throughout. But uh you know, we got to hope, I guess, by the next French Open, when that rolls around, hopefully by then things will have returned to normal. As I feel Surely. we said a year ago, <laughs> I know we're still seeing tournaments that are not at capacity, that can't have fans at certain times and, and tournaments that we don't even know if they can be hosted still. So 2022, fingers crossed, everybody, that we can just have complete normalcy in these tennis stadiums. Um, but it was nice and the atmospheres did feel great. And I felt like the roar of the crowd uh, you know, CC Pass versus Djokovic was pretty intense, mm -hmm. despite it still not being a fully packed host. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, before we shift over to the women's side, um, what this tournament means for Stefano Tsitsipas, you know, we looked at his clay court season going into the event and acknowledge how well he had been playing, pushing Rafael Nadal in Barcelona, uh, winning a couple titles, battling with Djokovic. He had been to the Australian Open semifinals previously he's won the atp finals and now a first major final um probably a couple of years ago we were looking at that you know i'm, I'm getting sick of saying next gen crop but 
that that is the reality. Danil Medvedev is kind of the heir apparent to to win some slams. Of course, Dominic Team has one, but Stefano Tsitsipas has to be right up at the top of the conversation uh, for one of the next ones who will be uh, hoisting winning Grand Slam titles. Yeah, he's one of the ones that's certainly taken advantage during the the pandemic and has found his best game and is is taking it up to the next level. Um, I mean, the the previous Roland Garros was less than a year ago, but he made uh, what semis there, I believe. Um, yeah, and five Aussie sets Open, against Novak, right? Aussie Open uh, semis, and mm-hmm. and now this. So he's clearly uh, trending upwards. And uh, you know, one day maybe Ben, you know, twenty years down the road when we're still hosting this podcast, we'll be talking about the epic CC Pass Medvedev rivalry as they play each other for yeah. the sixty fifth time or something, and have twenty slams between them. I mean. Um, there's a short list of players that are going to be taking the torch from the big three and uh, who knows if they'll be able to hold it quite as high, but uh, Stefano Pass is definitely one of them. Yeah. He's uh, more than capable. You are listening to match point Canada, the official podcast of tennis Canada, and we will shift over to the women's side. Um, it, it would have been one thing to predict the eventual winner of this tournament, but uh, to do that would feel impossible. Even predicting the four semifinalists that we had on this side of the event. Forget Can- predicting four of them. I would have given someone a hundred bucks if they had predicted one of them almost, <laughs> you know, let's be honest here. Yeah. Simply unbelievable, but it's a uh, Barbara Krejcikova who wins her maiden grand slam title. And you look back at uh, the numbers of uh, prior to, to this tournament in her career, she had never been passed a round of 16 at a Grand Slam. And in fact, of course, all of this is changing. Her entire life is going to be changing. She had never even qualified for a main draw at Wimbledon or the U.S. Open. Of course, we will get very direct entry into Wimbledon for Krejcikova, who will be seated at the event. And she's risen to a career high number 15. But uh, Krejcikova defeating Anastasia Pavlachenkova 6-1-2-6-6-4 to win the slam. 25-year-old uh, was ranked 33rd heading into the tournament. Uh, so a nice player from the Czech Republic. Beautiful, smooth ground strokes. But I surely she was just not on anybody's radar to conceivably win this tournament. She did make a a final in Dubai, you know, a couple months ago. In fact, we discussed her at that point that lost to Muguruza because she took a lengthy bathroom break after losing a set. So I was critical of her then, Uh, but she's a fantastic player. She played such a compelling semifinal match against Maria Sakkari. To me, that was the match of the tournament on the women's side and then finishing with the title and, the, the best story, I think, of this victory to me was one of her former coaches was uh, Yana Novotna, who, who did tragically pass away of ovarian cancer four years ago. And uh, she dedicated the win to Novotna, who, of course, was a, a Wimbledon champion in 1998. So I thought that was a beautiful, endearing moment. Um, but such such an unusual tournament, so many twists and turns. And, you know, look, if if you watch the men's side and you say, I'm sick of not Nadal and Djokovic all the time, uh, I promise you, if you're watching the women's side, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, and he, it was even way more unexpected than usual. I mean, a normal women's Grand Slam, there's a lot of, uh, you know, surprises in there. And I love that these days because there's so much talent, so much depth as we're always, you know, laboring on about. But it's true. Um, and here getting those four semifinalists, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, my draw was completely kaboom yes. when I looked at what I printed out ever so neatly two weeks ago. Um, but for Krejcikova, fantastic stuff. I love seeing it. And there have been some surprise French Open winners in the past or French Open finalists in the past. Uh, Eva Maioli comes to mind. 
Uh, Von Drusova, who got there as a finalist a couple of years ago, didn't see that coming quite so early in her career. But this is the first time to me when you look through the previous, um, you know, uh, pairings in the finals on the women's side at Roland Garros that we've had two such surprise finalists. So it was a great opportunity for both of them. And uh, Krejcikova, as you mentioned, uh, hadn't had as much single success at the slam level, but uh, had already been a two-time doubles uh, winner at the slam level. And she won Roland Garros as well this year in doubles, doing the, uh, uh, you know, getting both uh, draws captured there as I struggle for my words here, but uh, a rare double as they a call rare it. double, double. And, yeah. uh, and the first person to do that on the women's side at Roland Garros since Mary Pierce, uh, which was what, 20, 21 years ago. So just such a, a momentous event for her that she'll never forget. And uh, for me growing up, Yana Novotna was one of my favorite female players. Um, she fell twice in the finals at Wimbledon before finally uh, capturing it in 1998. And that was such an emotional moment. Um, so, you know, obviously such a shame that, that she's not around to enjoy her former, you know, pupils, uh, big victory, but as, uh, Krachikova mentioned, you know, certainly she's, she's up there watching and, and must be happy at the result as well. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, surely we, we would have considered her a contender to win the double side. As you mentioned, they were the second seed, her and, uh, Katarina Siniakova, fellow Czech player and, uh, credit to Leila Fernandez and Gabby Dabrowski who gave them their toughest match of the tournament on the double side, winning a set. Perhaps we could have seen a run from Krejcikova coming. If I do look back a little bit because she did win Strasbourg, I know that was a lighter draw, but she did have that title coming into the French Open. So surely there was some confidence. And then you look back even further, um, of course, Iga Spiontek, we know how dominant she was in Rome beating Pliskova in that in that final six love six love she defeated Krychikova in that tournament in the round of 16 seven five in the third so Krychikova had been playing very very good tennis going into that tournament she had a, a dominant win over Sofia Kennan there as well and then t- to me I think on the single side the standout win that really really got her going third round she she dominated Alina Spitalina, 6-3, 6-2. And after that, she seemed to really gain momentum. We'd been talking about Sloane Stevens playing good tennis. Stevens only managed two games off of her. Uh, she beat Coco Goff. And then Maria Zachary. Um, Zachary was very, very close to winning this match. She had a chance to serve it out 5-4 in the third. Um, but Krychikova prevailing 9-7 late in the third set and a match could go either way uh, was, was fantastic. We can shift over to uh, the Canadian side of things from Roland Garros. And obviously, this was a disappointing tournament as, as far as a Grand Slam goes on the single side. Of course, we had Denis Shapovalov uh, withdraw from the event with that shoulder injury right before the tournament, which was so disappointing because he had been playing good tennis. He made a finals in Geneva. Um, no Milos Raonic, which wasn't really a surprise. No Vashik Pospisil. And then uh, Felix Ojealiasim just didn't really have it in his first round match against Andrea Seppi so all in all kind of a forgettable one on the Canadian angle yeah agreed um but unsurprising as well in the sense that my expectations were pretty low going in given how few entries we had in singles and right if you look on the men's side I mean Felix was our our one and only hope really uh, no one made it through qualifying to to join him and Felix hasn't been inspiring confidence with his clay court play in 2021 on the women's side, I mean, you and I talked about how Bianca did have a nice little section of the draw. And uh, I, I guess it makes us feel a little bit better that Tamara Zidansek was the one that did progress all the way to the semis after yeah. having started her tournament with a win over Bianca. Kind of an eyebrow raiser at the time, perhaps for many, but 
Bianca hasn't had a whole ton of match time, obviously, as we know, hardly played or hasn't played on clay, I should say, in the past two years. So really unsurprising. It would have been unfair to put too many expectations on her. Leila Annie Fernandez still learning. You know, there's still a curve going on there. And certainly she took away from that loss to Madison Keys, where she just seemed overwhelmed by the firepower. Uh, and no shame in losing to a player of that caliber who's had deep runs at Roland Garros before and, and deep runs at the slam. So every little bit for her, I think, is a, a piece to the puzzle in the future that she's going to put together um, already into the top 100 and made such improvements over the past year or so. Um, so it is disappointing. But I think that also speaks volumes to how far Canada's come as a nation these past few years and how we go into slams now expecting that we're going to have Canadians in the second week of a major. So as we switch over to the grass, you know, hopefully there is going to be uh, more reason for optimism there. And, uh, and I'm feeling that optimism, especially if people like Dennis and Milos and Bianca are all healthy. Yeah, certainly uh, for the grass court swing, I think in terms of quality of tennis, when we look at Milos Raonic, this is his favorite time of the season. Obviously, a former Wimbledon finalist. We know the kind of damage he can do on a grass court. I think it will play up to Denis Shapovalov and his strengths on the surface. And uh, we'll get to what Felix Ojealiasim has already done on grass shortly in a second, too. Vashik Pospisil, nice to have him back here as well. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard, she'd been playing such great tennis at the front end of the season. We talked about, you know, we spoke with her last July about her rebuilding her ranking and, and it's amazing to think at that time she was outside of the top 300 um she had a great summer you know she made a final uh istanbul prague she played well making quarterfinals and then she made another final uh earlier in the season this year and then we thought well where has she gone and i think we got some answers over the past few days that uh she went under the knife and had uh arthroscopic surgery on her right shoulder. So obviously that's been something that she was dealing with why we didn't really get a clay court season from her, but uh, hopefully the recovery process is quick, not too long. And we also get her back on a tennis court, maybe at some point later this year. That's yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting how breaking news now in terms of injuries are divulged through social media, you know, you yeah. gotta be following Instagram and Twitter if you want to know what's going on with some of your favorite players. And that's how we found out about Jeannie with the picture of her arm in a, in a, a sling, her right arm. Um, so that's going to be a few months for sure by the time she rehabs and, and gets back to court. So that'll be too bad for the Jeannie army. It's hard to believe it's been what, seven years since, um, since her finals run. That's right. At Wimbledon and, uh, and just how much has happened to her over the course of, of that time as well in her career, but things were trending in the right direction. And, uh, we are hopeful once she's healthy that she can continue that push into the top 100, giving Canada another, you know, fantastic uh, presence on the WTA tour there. Yeah, would uh, would love to see that. And uh, it's it's still a different calendar season this year and that uh, grass is kind of starting uh, a little bit sooner. So you had the rare kind of occasion where we have French Open happening and a tournament in Stuttgart simultaneously. And we had Canadian Felix Ojealiasim seem competing and playing really well there. We talked about the struggles on clay, but he seems very happy to shift over to the grass and making his eighth career ATP final uh, quality tournament for Felix picked up wins over Lloyd Harris. Good South African player. Ugo Humbert uh, was a nice win. Sam Query, who's very dangerous on grass before falling to veteran Marin Cilic. Um, Chilich winning his 19th title. As for Felix Ojealiasim, you know, you can kind of go glass, half empty, glass, half full on how we look at this. He's been to eight ATP finals, 
but the uh, career record falls to 0-8 in those finals. Uh, what do you make of that, I suppose? I, I think the timing of this one has to be seen as, as only a positive because of the way his season has sort of been, you know, trudging along slowly. Mm-hmm. So if I'm him, I, I don't think I would be looking at it like, oh man, an eighth time that I'm here and unable to pull the trigger. I think I look at it as what a great way to start my grass court season. No shame in losing to a former Wimbledon finalist like Chilich. And I think I'm feeling more pos- uh, you know, not pessimistic, more optimistic <laughs> yes. and more confident uh, as we start the grass course season. So that, that's great for Felix. And while some of his previous finals, I've definitely felt personally like, oh, what a shame. This time I'm feeling just all positivity about what it means for him at this point. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I, I kind of felt a bit pessimistic or, or disappointed early in the season in front of Australia when he made that final and was facing Dan Evans. I thought, here's the moment to, to take that first title. Uh, but credit to Marin Cilic. He was a Canadian killer this past week, too, in Stuttgart. He also took out Denis Shapovalov in the quarterfinals. And um, Roger Federer beat Marin Cilic in four sets, actually, at the French Open. And ahead of their encounter, he talked about uh, playing and training with Cilic um, who, of course, you know, he's a Grand Slam winner at the U.S. Open. As we said, he's been to a Wimbledon final. He's been to the Australian Open final. He said playing with Chilich in practice, he was the same player hitting booming ground strokes to either side of the court. So, so dangerous. And then Federer said he watched a match of Chilich and he wasn't quite the same player. And he thinks it was kind of a, a mental issue that Marin was going through, just a dip in form and struggling a bit mentally on the court, maybe some confidence issues. Um, so Federer very much thinks Marin Cilic can still play great tennis. Obviously, he's comfortable on the grass. And uh, 19 titles is a lot. He's had, you know, I would say probably a Hall of Fame career to this point, even even if his ranking has kind of dipped outside of that top 40 range when we're used to seeing him, you know, at times even a top five player. Yeah, I don't know if he fits into my personal Hall of Fame criteria, but I think he might very well qualify for the the actual International Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport. And uh that game is still made for grass players like that, mm-hmm. you know, definitely dangerous. And it, it's a shift from the players who we kind of considered as French open, French open clay court favorites to now looking at the grass. And I'm excited to get going with that, especially given how we had no grass court tennis last year. Um, and it's, it's a special time of year for a lot of people. For me growing up, I've said it before. This was the time of year, you know, school's ending. Summer break is starting. What's on TV? Oh, grass court tennis. (laughs) And Wimbledon is what hooked me when I'd be on my summer vacation as a kid. So I get goosebumps just thinking about it. If they play that breakfast at Wimbledon intro music that they used to have on NBC, if they still have that, uh, Mm -hmm. that'll get the goosebumps going. And uh, and just very excited to, uh, to see this kind of tennis, this style of tennis, and to have Federer seemingly healthy and ready to go because, um, you know, there's only so many more chances he's going to have at it. And, uh, and let's enjoy him while he's, while he's still there, I say. Yeah. And certainly for fans, they're probably thinking how many more times can, uh, can I go and see Roger Federer play? And he's uh, competing at the Halle open in Germany, a tournament he has won 10 times. And uh, just for an update, he's the fifth seed at the event and did win his first match over Ilya Ivashka, seven, six, seven, five, and talked about wanting to peak for the grass court season. So it's a nice start to him. Uh, Vasha Pospisil was in this tournament, uh, but did lose his first match to uh, Marcus Giroll, seven, six, seven, six. 
one Canadian, Felix Ojealiasim, right after making that final. Um, he'll again uh, be in Germany playing the Halle Open. Tough opening round for him against Hubert Hurkacz. Uh, just over to Queen's Club, we should mention as well the Queen's Club Championships. Uh, Matteo Berrettini is the first seed there uh, and made a quarterfinals at the French Open. Denis Shapovalov uh, will be seeded second. And uh, you look at this draw, there aren't too many like big, big time players. Uh, Dimenauer in the mix, Tiafo, Fanini, Dan Evans. You wonder if this is an opportunity. Marin Cilic uh, playing there as well. Maybe this is a nice opportunity for Denis Shapovalov to make a little run here uh, with Wimbledon right around the corner. Yeah, why not? Let's have it, Dennis. Bring it. Give us some good Canadian news here to get excited about as Wimbledon looms. Um, I, I, It's just such a quick transition this year. And like I you know. said, with the grass starting while the clay was still going on, I'm seeing on my Twitter feed players posting pictures of the grass courts. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, hold on. We're still on the red dirt. I'm, I'm so confused right now. I know. Normally, normally you get a little bit of a breather before you get over to that, that new season. And of course the grass court season is so, so quick. You know, we get most of the season, obviously on tennis is hard court. You have different swings of the events. You start off in Australia. Uh, then for the summer, we have the North American swing and then uh, tournaments in Asia. Uh, the grass court, it just comes and goes. I would love a longer grass court season. And I think we've talked about it before. I'd love to see a Masters 1000 grass court event yes. happen as well. I don't know why. I'm sure it'll happen at some. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. It seems like a foregone conclusion why you would skip that surface for the second tier of most important tournaments on the calendar. I'd be all for that. And I know there are a bunch of players that would be for that too. Scheduling wise, I guess if that comes in, what comes out or what loses, you know, its luster and its player field because of it as the players are undoubtedly going to go for the more ranking points and higher prize money. But uh, that being said, it should have a place on the calendar. And uh, anyways, either way, looking forward to the grass courts. We've got some grass court news to share as well with our listeners that uh, we're going to have some increased access this year at Wimbledon. It's the first time that we have been credentialed as members of the media for the All England uh, uh, Club and uh, and Wimbledon. So we're pretty stoked about that. And uh what is this? The third slam now that we'll have covered, I guess, on the calendar we've done. Yeah. Hockey, so we, we did, we did the Australian open earlier this season, which was great. Terrific access, great tournament, um, great organizers as well. And then uh, the U S open as well last year, unfortunately, French open didn't work out. I'll have to resolve that and make it it's happen. Because of my comments year. about how I didn't grow up a clay court fan. I'm pretty sure. They're <laughs> that, I guess. Uh, did you, did you type that on Twitter? They probably got a hold of that. And they're like, we don't want this guy uh, in our virtual press room. No, uh, but very excited to be covering Wimbledon 2021 and having that access. Um, maybe a nice opportunity to get a couple questions to Roger Federer. Uh, you know, I don't want to say for Serena the Serena Williams right? or Serena, Serena Williams. Williams. I don't want to say for the last time. But you never and know, Ven- right? And Venus Williams, how much longer is, is the queen there? Is, is Venus going to go on? And I was looking at prior Wimbledon champions, and my goodness, she's been in so many finals at Wimbledon. It's just yeah. incredible. Um, and, you know, most recently is 2017. So yes. a great opportunity to be able to, to speak to one of the all-time greats there too for us, hopefully. Yeah, certainly. And uh, just a quick point of note on the women's side with the grass court season we have a tournament in berlin bianca andrescu is in the field so 
we can believe she's certainly healthy and ready to go. She'll face Elise Cornet in her opening match there. Uh, interesting matchup. And in Birmingham, we also have uh, Layla Fernandez in the field there. Uh, I believe she's playing her first matchup against Wong Xiang. So uh, two Canadians in the mix in two different WTA events. You have been listening to Matchpoint Canada. Guys, we will talk to you next time.